Hello and welcome. Episode 84 of the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we got to reflect. It's the two-year anniversary of my favorite basketball player, Kobe Bryant's death. It is Baseball Hall of Fame time. And no, the greatest hitter of all time did not qualify for the Hall of Fame on his last year of eligibility. And then it's NFC and AFC Championship weekend in football. We've got previews for the two massive games coming up this week. And of course, our pitcher bet for the weekend. What's up, everyone? I'm Matt Guest. I'm your host here. With me, as always, is Matt Morris, my co-host. Man, we are running it early Thursday morning, right after you just got off of work, and we have some breaking news right as we were prepping for the pod early this morning. What do we got, bro? Big news, actually. Yeah, man. We were just sitting here talking about the future of, uh, of our Green Bay Packers, like we always do. And uh, yeah, going on a BR, just check out what's going on in the sports world. And as of 10 minutes ago, I'd say probably 15 minutes ago now, Nathaniel Hackett is going to be the Denver Broncos head coach. Dun, dun, dun. Terrible decision, man. This is, this is a Rogers lure all the way. They just threw the fishing pole out into the ocean, hoping to God they're going to catch a shark. Um, me and you were talking about it. I think it's a mistake. This is not the kind of hire you make as an organization trying to turn your team around, trying to elevate them to the next level, to go out and hire a guy with the hope, hopes that Aaron Rodgers may come with him. You know, like I, I think there were a lot of other candidates out there that deserve this job and that have better pedigrees than Nathaniel Hackett. And I, I'm just kind of in disbelief that an organization would make this decision. Yeah, I don't know if I feel as strongly as you do about that. Um, I, I definitely don't know if it's, a mistake you know you never know he has good potential people have talked really good about him as a o coordinator and as a locker room type of guy i mean i think it's an obvious hire for the broncos for two reasons one is that vic fangio was a defensive guy and we all saw how that worked out for their offense their offense couldn't do anything right their offense pretty much lost them i'd say at least 75 to 80 percent of their games here this past season and two in the obvious one is aaron Rodgers. right they're looking to lure him in um rogers has a great great relationship with nathaniel hackett as the o coordinator the past few years in green bay i don't know and i think it's funny you know and i respect the broncos for shooting their shot right like what else do they have to lose it's a bad draft class for talent wise at the quarterback position they haven't had a good quarterback since peyton was there um, and at the end of the day, and this is what we were talking about, is they play in arguably the best division in the AFC. So you, at the end of the day, if Rodgers comes in there and plays quarterback for them, you got to go up against Mahomes. You got to go up against Justin Herbert. The Raiders will cross them off. You know, they're going to be I think they're going to be in a full rebuild. But just winning that division alone is going to be tough. And that's not bringing up the New England Patriots are on the rise. Josh Allen, we all saw what he did last week. A healthy Lamar Jackson. Who knows what Pittsburgh's doing? And hey, if Cleveland can get a, a good quarterback or keep Baker healthy, we've seen what they can do too. I think the AFC is much tougher than the NFC right now. But 
in my opinion, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's actually, you know, a good hire by the Broncos. Go for it, right? Shoot your shot. You, they literally have nothing to lose at this point. Right now, they're sitting at the third best team in their division with no no hope in sight without Aaron Rodgers, right? I, that's how I look at it. No, and I, I guess that to play devil's advocate towards myself, this was a conversation, again, we had off air, but you hire a guy that comes from a great organization with a great coaching tree that's being built, right? Nathaniel Hackett's going to be Matt LaFleur's first piece outside of that tree. Yep. But from Denver's perspective, hey, you got a guy that worked with Aaron Rodgers. If we don't get Aaron Rodgers and we draft a quarterback or we sign a quarterback that's younger or we want to develop a guy in the next couple couple draft classes, like Hackett's been around greatness. Like he should know how to tutor a quarterback. And I, I fully agree with that. And it's fun. I had said to you a little bit ago, what if Hackett went into that interview and said, hey, listen, I know we want Rodgers. I know that's a goal. Yeah. But I actually really like Jordan Love. And if I do get this job, whether I get Rodgers or I get Love, like I, I want one of them because I believe in Jordan Love. I think it would be a hilarious turn of events <laughs> to have Rodgers come out and say three weeks and say, hey, I'm coming back. I'm signing a three-year deal, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, two days later, the news breaks. Broncos have traded for Jordan Love, right? Like that I think would be a really cool storyline. I think it would be a, a big change in narrative for the national media who has basically been shitting on Jordan Love <laughs> for the past five weeks, six weeks since you know this kind of turmoil has started. But either way, I, I guess we're going to watch this. You know, we had said this might be a Joe Philbin Miami situation. I, I think Hackett has a better scheme, and I think – especially with that team. He's got talent all over the board on offense and on defense. You got to be an idiot to screw that up. You know, Joe Judge, you look at him with New York these past couple of years. God, that guy is a moron. Honestly, he doesn't deserve an offensive defensive position in the NFL with the way he screwed that offense up. I don't think Hackett goes to Denver and has nearly as much trouble, but it'll definitely be a job I'm going to monitor and I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as Packer fans, right, this is the first domino, right? And this is going to lead mm -hmm. to multiple decisions being made by the organization and of course the guy Aaron Rodgers himself so I think this is just the first domino to fall and you know it's January 27th I'd say come probably a week from now we could be looking at the decision by Aaron I think it's going to come within the next week or week and a half uh, we posted something on TikTok about post, uh, potential landing spots for Rodgers. We're going to save that actual topic on what we think is actually going to happen for next week, but definitely the first domino, and maybe um, by next week we'll even know. So, I've got one one last question for you before we get into our, our, our meat of our podcast. Sure. So LaFleur's got his brother out there in New York, right? Usually after a coaching change in Green Bay from the assistant positions, you see you know someone from the ranks be moved up. Do you think there's any chance that Matt LaFleur's brother comes on over to fill this offensive coordinator role? I think there's a chance, yes. But the problem is, is he's working for the, the, the LaFleur brothers and uh, Sala are all best friends. So yeah. if he wasn't working for Sala, I'd say... Uh, probably a hundred percent. I still think it's a really good possibility and it would actually be a pretty awesome you know, thing in Green Bay, right? Green Bay is one of the more small town professional teams that you know, that's a, it's a family type of vibe. So it would be cool. Um, I don't see it happening, but maybe you never know. My, my only thought on that is if you think about the job prospects, right? Like the opportunity to come to Green Bay and be the offensive coordinator under your brother, you know, work together. I think it would get him a head coaching position Probably. faster than New York. But at the same time, say New York comes out next year with Zach Wilson and lights the world on fire, or at least as a dramatic improvement from this season. 
they might be offered head coaching positions next offseason, right? Like it's kind of two two apples, two oranges. Like it's really hard to tell what the future holds, but I, I do think that would be a really cool story. And I, yeah, you're right. You just don't screw your friends over. They give you an opportunity. You, you stick with them. Right. I, I think that's that's kind of the wholesome nature that this uh, that these Lafleurs and, and honestly Salah has shown that like you stick with your guys. Right. And maybe uh, to wrap that up too, maybe. He really liked Zach Wilson, right? They did just draft him. And I thought he mm-hmm. actually, I thought he had a solid season. I think his name is Mike, Mike LaFleur. I thought he had actually a really solid end of the season with Wilson. Wilson looked Wilson looked a lot better than I thought he would. So I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's going to be an interesting, interesting couple of weeks here in Green Bay. Um, I bet Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers, people will be chomping at the bit to be the O coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. That's for sure. All right, so we are recording this on the 27th, early in the morning, but yesterday was the two-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant. Um, You know, we just wanted to bring it up that, you know, Kobe Bryant is still a legend every single day. Kobe Bryant is a big reason Matt and I started this podcast. Um, For me, being a kid who grew up in Southern California, you know, we root for the Packers. I was born in Wisconsin, but when I was six years old, uh, my parents, we lived in Orange County. That's where I lived my entire life and grew up as a young sports fan. And I don't root for any California teams um, because they're fair-weathered fans, especially in SoCal. And it just is what it is. We can get into a debate about it another time. But the only SoCal team that I do truly root for and, and actually support to this day is the LA Lakers. And it's because of two people, but mostly one. It was shocking Kobe. And then Kobe as I became a teenager um, and a young, a young adult. So... Kobe Bryant, you know, two years ago, tragically passes away and it still affects me to this day. You know, watching the tribute videos, watching everything that he did for the city of L.A., obviously on the basketball court and off the basketball court. And then his daughter and what he was building at the Mamba Academy um, out in Thousand Oaks. And I think he had another location in Irvine, too, if I'm not mistaken. It's just it's just tragedy. Um Kobe Bryant's like a brother to people in Southern California, you know, millennials in Southern California. And I think it's the Gen X is the generation above us. Like he was family, man. You watch Kobe go from 18 year old, you know, wild basketball player to this dominant duo with Shaq. And then honestly, the maturation with him leading a bunch of guys that had zero business being very good in the NBA to NBA titles, right. With Pau Gasol, um, just an unbelievable career. And even two years later, man, it still hurts me to my core. Feels like I lost a family member. Feels like I lost a brother. Feels like you lost inspiration, you know, but then you look at his quotes, you look at what he lived by, the mob mentality. And if you see this clip on TikTok, I have a picture of him and Mike Jordan, you know, that awesome picture of them leaning next to each other, probably talking shit to each other. Um just to be your best self, right? Just to be, what would Kobe do? You know, he wouldn't go out. He wouldn't give up. He wouldn't stop pursuing his dreams. And he's going to work harder than everyone else. So awesome memories to live by. But I honestly think, Matt, it's going to take me, <laughs> it might take me a full decade to, to kind of get over it. It, I was, it still brings tears in my eyes thinking about it. I've never cried for a quote-unquote celebrity. I cried the day Kobe died, for sure. Yeah, man, and... It- for me, Kobe Bryant doesn't have the same attachment, right? Not growing up in Southern California. My first jersey ever, any sport, was Kobe's jersey. He's number eight. 
And uh, from a young age, I enjoyed Kobe. I liked Kobe, right? I think anyone in this country that saw him right during the Shaq era with Shaq and Kobe, it's Kobe Bryant, right? And then the explosion that you talked about into greatness as Shaq left. Uh, but I think ultimately what Kobe's story means to me, kind of having, like I said, that little bit of detachment is the morality of things. And that any given day, it can be your last. And to that kind of Mamba mentality that you spoke about, just appreciate every single day, but be the best you are every day and make sure that if, you know, your day comes before you expect it to, to be happy with what you've done. You know, if that's a job that you work that you absolutely hate and you've done that for five, six years, like change things up in your life because, you know, the day that Kobe passed was pretty significant to me too because it was the first day anyone in my circle of influence had really passed away. I remember Michael Jackson dying and to me it was kind of like whatever. When Prince died, it was like whatever. When Kobe died, it was the first time, as you said, someone that I felt emotionally attached to and like proud of and part of my identity as a sports fan pass away. And that was really hard. Um, and the truth is that can happen to family members. It can happen to loved one. It can happen to friends. It can happen to you. So we've got to try to live every single day that, with a, a notion of happiness and, and chasing after something to pursuing your dreams and giving it your all. Because if you're just honestly going to work every single day, jumping in your car, you know, feeding your dog, you're not living your best life. Like you've got to try to make decisions knowing that we are human and ultimately it will end. And the last thing I'll say about this is if you are sports fans, if you listen to this podcast, you obviously like sports, but if you love sports, this is the ups and downs of it. You lose idols in life, whether it's actors or musicians or sports fans. We choose to be sports fans. There's heartbreak every single season. And you know, when your legends do pass away, there's also heartbreak and there's also times to look back. And I think that's what, you know, January 26th will be for everyone that loved basketball and loved Kobe for years to come will just be time to look back and appreciate what you got from him. And also remind yourself that like, hey, you know, we got to be thankful for the day that we have. Yeah, 100%, man. Very well said. Um, yeah, just we just want to make a quick segment to Kobe, man. Thank you, Kobe, for everything. Rest in peace, man. We we think I think about him every day. That's why his poster's in my room. So rest in peace, Kobe, for sure. In other news... Baseball, hey, they're still locked out, you know? Um, <laughs> yes, they are. They seem to pretend that they want to come to agreement, but well, one thing I think the entire world who isn't a National Baseball Writer Association person agrees on is that Barry Bonds is the best hitter to ever hit a baseball. Ever. And ever. if you don't know the rules for the Hall of Fame, I'll, I'll sum it up here really quick for you and how Baseball Hall of Fame voting works is... Um, there's a few hundred gentlemen in the Writers Association that get a ballot every single year. They get 10 votes every single year on 10 guys that they're going to vote for for the Hall of Fame. They need a 75 or greater percent vote or a player needs 75 or greater percentage of a vote to get into the Hall of Fame by these few hundred uh, members of the association to be elected into the Hall of Fame, and they hold all the power on who goes into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And you would think it'd be pretty straightforward, right? The greatest players of the game, whether, you know, how good, bad, ugly they were as a person, what they did off the field, shouldn't necessarily be taken into consideration. And now, as of 2022, we have Major League Baseball's all-time hits leader, home run leader, and arguably the best pitcher of the modern era, definitely the steroid era, now not in the Hall of Fame. I'm speaking about Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens was the other one who was left off. 
all because in the voting criteria, the word character is taken into consideration for your vote. And character is the reason that they are out, but Big Poppy David Ortiz was unanimously chosen in on his first ballot. What are your thoughts? I just wanted to clarify real quick. Poppy was not unanimously voted in. He actually just barely squeaked by, I think, with a 76%. Okay, and uh, this was this was no, 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 it's okay. But you're right. First ballot Hall of Famer, um, which I had brought this up earlier in the day when we tried to record. Those of you that are listening, this is our second attempt to record. <laughs> um, he had some allegations of steroids now, I think very minor. I think this was some stuff that like didn't really even make national headlines. And it maybe if it did, it was for like a day. Uh, there was no proof, you know, it was simply someone like me saying, oh my God, Ortiz is using steroids and blah, blah, blah. Either way, my big point about all of this is we have no proof that anybody isn't cheating. Technology will always outdate and out advance the testing methods. And Bonds proved that with Belko, right? I mean, the guy was absolutely juiced out of his mind. So was Clemens, so was Pettit, right? We can name names until we're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, we're holding out Roger Clemens, seven Cy Youngs, and Barry Bonds, the best hitter, the best baseball player I have ever seen. And it's not even close. Yep. And was one of the best before he became Barry Bonds, right? When he was still a little stick playing in Pittsburgh, <laughs> the guy was an absolute Hall of Famer. And I think it's just a disgrace to baseball. I think it's a disservice to the future, the future fans of the games. I stayed up as a eight-year-old, nine-year-old watching Barry Bonds surpass Mark McGuire. Why? Because I loved baseball. And to me, that was one of the most historical moments of my baseball fandom life. And Roger Clemens going to Houston after he was done with the Yankees, coming out of retirement, right? Pitching to his kids at University of Texas and then going to the Astros games to pitch. And I think he had 20 wins his first season with the Astros. Just absolutely incredible. And my big thing has always been, if you use steroids, I get it. You're out there trying to help your team win. You know, most of these guys are not trying to sign the big contract on steroids. Nowadays, we're starting to kind of see that when guys pop. But Bonds and Clemens were just trying to be the absolute best they could. They were trying to stay healthy in their older ages. And when it comes to character, sure, they made some mistakes. They both didn't come out and say, hey, I use steroids. I'm sorry, right? And that costs them. But the Baseball Hall of Fame is supposed to be something where you show up and you bring your kids and you say, hey, like I watched his 72nd home run. I stayed up and grandma came out yelling at me. I pretended to turn the TV off and I turned it right back on when she went to bed because that's how important it was to me. And yeah, he cheated. And we'll talk to your kids about that. But that's the moment of the Baseball Hall of Fame where you can express to people and your children and younger generations like, hey, mistakes have consequences. And this is what happened to his character and ultimately his life. But as a baseball player, this is who he is. And I, I think this is my biggest takeaway too, is Rob Manford need to be in front of this. And he should have made a statement this offseason. Hey, listen, we know that baseball has changed. Technology has changed. But at the end of the day, we're going to put the people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame in there for the exact reasons I just spoke on, education and history. Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I hope one day, if Theo Epstein takes the reins as commissioner, that he brings them into the Hall of Fame on a, uh, on a commissioner's exemption. Yeah, and, and I think it'll happen too, Matt. I think that commissioner's exemption will happen hopefully within the next decade, right? The next 10 years. Yeah. But I, I totally agree with you. I thought you just made an awesome point there that it is an educational thing, right? How can you go into the Baseball Hall of Fame? And I've been there in Cooperstown. It's unbelievable. It's for baseball people, obviously, right? If you don't like baseball, yeah. it's, you know, it's a museum. It, it, that's, it, it's literally a museum is what it is. I've been, I've been there. 
And how can you possibly have the record books in there and the plaques showing the most hits, home runs, Cy Youngs, etc.? Oh, World Series champions from nine, 99 to, or excuse me, like 95 to, you know, 2010. And see Roger Clemens, see Barry Bonds. Look at all his stats are insane. And be like, well, where's his plaque? Right? Where, where is it? Oh, he's not here because, you know, he cheated. He didn't admit to it. Well, I mean, you can go back in time. Some of these guys from the early 1900s, right? You don't think Mickey mm-hmm. Mantle was doing a little something different? Babe Ruth, you know, legends of the game. You hear these stories all the time about these guys, but just because there wasn't modern technology, there wasn't reporting. And at the end of the day, I think all of them could have been shitty people, but no way were we going to leave them out of the Hall of Fame or out of the story (laughs) of baseball, right? Like Babe Ruth's legend lives till this day. I don't think anyone said that he was a saint, right? Like, I don't think anyone knows that he was or would argue that he is. Um, I mean, I'm I'm more looking at this at the extreme because I'm really triggered by this whole situation, to be honest with you, is that if you're not going to put them in the Hall of Fame, I, I just get rid of all their stats. Like, that's my stance on it at this point. And I know that is a little outlandish and a little crazy, but that's how I feel. It's like if you're really just going to completely ignore the fact of what they did and what a guy specifically for me, like Barry Bonds did for 10 12 years of my life where I agree with you. I would literally, I remember with my dad every night that he was on track to beat um, Hank Aaron's record. Like they would show every at bat on ESPN and me and my dad would sit there and watch every single one. And I literally remember an awesome memory of me and my father sitting there watching him hit 756 in San Francisco. And it's like either say that wasn't legitimate and if it is legitimate, he has to be in. I, I, it's very straightforward to me. Well, and it's funny you bring that up. You know, we've both watched him achieve greatness. And this past season, or maybe it was two years ago, when Pujols hit his 600 home run, um, it didn't mean anything to me. No. Because it's 600. Like, you know, ever since I watched Bonds do that, like, you don't go ahead and put on Aaron Rodgers as he passes, you know, Peyton Manning for touchdowns. Who gives a shit? It's when... Tom Brady passes Brett Favre and Tom Brady passes Drew Brees. You know, it's it's when you actually climb the mountaintop and you achieve greatness. And I just always found it so ridiculous with Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Albert Pujols. Like, oh, they, you know, they're chased for 600. It's like, this doesn't matter. You're chasing, you're not chasing 600, you're chasing Barry Bonds. And it's like, I'm worried that because of the Hall of Fame that kids in 50 years won't look at Bonds and be like, oh man, Babe Ruth, right? And I, I don't think that's a, a fair opportunity for baseball. And I think just to wrap this segment, this is the perfect representation of the state of Major League Baseball. Exactly. It's an absolute shambles. It's being ran by fucking morons. And as a diehard baseball fan, baseball saved my life as a child. I just want to put that out there. Like it literally saved my life. It's heartbreaking because I'm watching a sport that I have watched my entire life and I'm watching it crumble in terms of popularity in front of my eyes. Because idiots are at the helm. And I know Trevor Bauer is a very polarizing character, you know, legally, personality-wise, everything. But he's not wrong with the way that he has really slammed the door multiple times on this whole concept of Major League Baseball not marketing their players properly. This is just the next example. The greatest of all time being completely disrespected and held out of Cooperstown is unforgivable. Yeah, you're 100% right, bro. And at the end of the day, what did they just do? 
is put a horrible, disgusting taste in people's mouths of our generation, Mm -hmm. the generation before us, and the generation before them of baseball fans, and then the casual fans on top of that who love Barry, who are like, fuck baseball is why I don't watch it anymore. Literally, (laughs) like that's exactly what they just did. And that is on them. So, you know, you and I will continue to watch baseball. We love it. But they probably lost their chance at another generation of diehard baseball fans, in my opinion, because we're becoming fathers. We're putting our influence out there on younger kids, right? And a lot of people our age are probably just like, fuck it at this point. It's the most boring sport out there. Look at the NBA. Look at the NFL, right? Sucks, dude. It really sucks. Baseball is such a beautiful game. And as I tweeted out, they're really trying to make it America's pastime. If you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I just want to add this last thing. If you look at the state of baseball over, say, the last three years, right? The year before the pandemic, up until now, um, we talk about fireable offenses a lot. (laughs) Matt Matt and I both would probably fire everybody in our company probably day one because we're just psychotic. (laughs) That's Um, why we work alone. Rob Manford (laughs) has fucked this baseball job up so badly. I think about him as the CEO, right? He's he's basically the uh, answer man for the owners. Yep. How the fuck they have not called for his head yet blows my mind. And that's why I think baseball's biggest issue isn't necessarily Rob Manfred. It's some of the comments that have come out over the last couple of years about it being a boys club. And that's a polarizing comment in this world as well, especially with how sensitive people are. But when you talk about being a boys club, you have that that uh, that honor and that loyalty blindly sometimes. And I think right now we're seeing it with Manford because, man, he's just the worst commissioner I've seen in years. And I said that about Goodell, and I was wrong about Goodell. He has done great things for the NFL, and you just kind of had to get through that bumpy patch. Manford, I don't think, will be the same story. He continues to fail on gigantic topics, and it's it's hurting the popularity of the sport. All right, moving on. It's championship weekend. Two great matchups going on this Sunday. Let's start in the NFC. So we got the Battle of California, SoCal versus NorCal. The LA Rams have decided to put all their tickets on for sale because as we were talking about, them acting like just selling tickets to people in Southern California wasn't going to give tickets to Niner fans had to have been the most blind, dumbest thing I've ever heard because I promise you there's probably more Niner fans in SoCal than LA Rams fans (laughs) that are real fans. And we don't need to have this conversation. Obviously, this is something I'm passionate about. First topic on this game. It's basically like the Monstars versus Space Jam is how I look at this, right? (laughs) Freaking the Niners are going in there beat up, bruised, battered. On paper, they have zero chance, right? If you were to to look at both these teams on paper, pull them up in Madden, no chance. But yet here we are. (laughs) The Niners, not even that big of an underdog in LA. I have a feeling there's going to be a ton of Niner fans. I could see it being 50-50 out there in SoFi, Matt. So the Monstars or the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan, who do you think pulls this off? Man, this is hard. Again, I have a lot of emotional bias still like pumping through my blood. I know. Try um, not. <laughs> I, I do think the Monstars take this, though. I know that the 49ers are 6-0 against the Rams in their last six appearances, but this is a big-time game. 
McVeigh, I think, is ready. I think more importantly, I think Stafford is ready. And this is a very, very different team with Cam Akers than it was the last time they played the 49ers, which Correct. was just a few weeks ago. And on top of that, you have OBJ looking to go to his first Super Bowl. You know, And I know this is a first Super Bowl for a lot of guys in terms of opportunity, but the Monstars, right, the Rams, have so many players that want this so badly. Last year, it was the Packers to knock them out. For the 49ers to knock out the Rams, they're going to have to beat their faces in. And I just don't think the 49ers offense has what it takes. I really don't. The defense is banged up. The secondary is questionable. I think what we're going to see is the exact opposite of what we saw from the Packers. I think the Rams are coming out to attack. And I think they're going to attack the entire game. And that is what you got to do to beat this 49ers team. You cannot allow them to chew the clock. Can't let them run the ball. You've got to throw the ball, throw it often. You've got to get a lead. The only question I have is, do they do they cough it up? We saw that last week. They almost handed the Bucks the game. But I, I really do think the desire and the drive from the Rams is going to get them to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I love your points. Um, I'm going to disagree with you. I, I just, for some reason, have a feeling that the Niners are just that team this year. You know? They've been proving it for basically, I want to say like seven, eight weeks at this point, right? They've had one or two bad losses in there. Um, but don't forget the Niners were just in the Super Bowl two years ago, too. They basically got their shot at the playoff, a playoff run um, and redemption against Kansas City taken from them last year in New York when Bosa went down. I think Warner went. They, they lost like four or five dudes in one game. Jimmy G gets hurt last year. Um, and it was a lost season for the Niners. Too many injuries, right? Don't forget, they should have beaten Kansas City Mahomes' first title. So I think they want it just as bad as the Rams players do, but just for different reasons, right? You got OBJ, Vaughn Miller's been there, but all the guys in the superstars on the Rams more want it just for their legacy purposes. I think the Niners are actually playing out of revenge, like literally vengeance mm. that we need to go beat Mahomes because he took one from us um, is where I'm at. Do I think it's going to be easy? <laughs> no. Like, I, I think it's going to be just like the Packer game, right? If they can just control the narrative, control the clock, keep it within one possession into the fourth quarter, if it is a touchdown or less in the fourth quarter, I promise you the Niners are winning the game. You know, the line is at three and a half. I hate the half, and I think I'll take the Rams, uh, or excuse me, I think I'll take the Niners plus the three and a half just because of the hook there. But I, I really do think this game comes down to a field goal, a last-second kick, a last-second touchdown, uh, a final possession moment. And I'm hoping for that, too. But at the end of the day, dude, I just can't bet against the Niners at any, more, at any point for the rest of this season. If they make the Super Bowl, you might be hearing the same thing from me, which just sounds crazy, but that's just how I feel. I think they're the toughest team in football, like I said last time, and I just think they have the mojo going for them right now, and I, I think they're going to win, dude. I just think they're going to win. And then, of course, we've got the hype game. Obviously... Kansas City, Kansas City, when they're on, bro, they're one of the best. They're the most fun team to watch in football, right? I don't really think that's much of a debate. But then you come out here in the Cincinnati Bengals, man, they're turning into that same type of team. Like, you want to watch Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, Joey Burrow, right? What a freaking matchup. If you were to tell me that the Chiefs were playing the Cincinnati Bengals when I came and visited you in Vegas, 
um, all <laughs> the way back before the season. I don't even remember what month that was. That was probably a month before the season started and told me that that was going to be the matchup. I would have laughed in your face. Niners-Rams? Yeah, I, I could see that one, right? Like, that one's a little more realistic. I picked the Niners to win the division. But Joey Burrow, dude, just an absolute legend. Seven-point game. I'll tell you, this is the spread right now. I'll tell you right now, I'm going to pick the Bengals plus the seven. But what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I actually like the Bengals plus seven as well. Um, what an ascension, man. Honestly, what you said was perfect. Preseason, any, no one could have picked the Bengals here. And any of you out there that have the Bengals, you know, to win the Super Bowl or win the AFC. Must live uh, in Cincinnati. A a teaser. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, but what an ascension by Burrow. And this is the thing, man. This is the NFL. This is why you hold on to great quarterbacks because great quarterbacks can get you to championship games, right? Tannehill couldn't get it done, right? Eh, not a great quarterback. Jimmy G, well, he's a winner. Jimmy's a winner, right? Maybe not a great quarterback, but a winner. Uh, when it comes to this game, though, man, I can't wait to have off and I can't wait to watch it. But I just think Kansas City, wow, they are. They're special. Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes might be the best combination Dude. I've ever seen because of Hill's athleticism, right? Yeah, it's not Peyton to Marvin Harrison. Yeah, it's not Rodgers to to Adams. But what Tyreek Hill can do with the ball in his hands when it matters, when the time's running out, changes the game. And I think ultimately what we see here is probably a closer game than all are expecting into the fourth quarter. But they just did it to the number one defense in football. They're going to do it to the Bengals. They're going to pick them apart. And when the time matters, they're going to score and they're going to win this game. Seven points, though, is a lot, especially when you're talking about the tenacity that Joe Burrow is bringing. But I would never, ever bet against Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey ever again because these guys, they're <laughs> very, very special. Dude, 100%. Um, I think it's going to be a really close game, actually, because I, I don't know the status of Tyron Matthew. Have you seen anything on him yet? They have. It's been really hush-hush. Um, and yeah, Casey no, about his nothing. concussion. I, I just don't think, and if you go back to their matchup, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, that was one of the best football games of the entire season. And, mm -hmm. you know, Kansas City ended up, or excuse me, uh, Cincinnati ended up winning the game at home. I think KC's going to have the same issue. Like, they cannot guard Higgins, Chase, Tyler Boyd. Like, they're going to give up points, they're going to give up yards. The question is, like, if Burrow gets over 400 yards, they might win this game. But, the last thing I want to say, and I'm going to pick Kansas City to win as well. If when they win, I'd argue, and I will argue on the next pod, that Mahomes' legacy has already surpassed Aaron Rodgers if he gets there. Peyton Manning if he gets there. Big Ben if he gets there. And Phillip Rivers, obviously, if Brees. he gets there. And Drew Brees, thank you. That was one name I left yep. off the list. In year four, in year yeah. four, you've just put behind an entire era of legacies, right? Mm -hmm. And now, as LeBron always says, right, like, I'm chasing ghosts. Like, we might be for the next 10 years witnessing Mahomes go after Brady's record. I personally will have to believe it when I see it. I don't think we'll ever see a feat of what Tom Brady's been able to do for the number of Super Bowls, championship weekends, and obviously Super Bowl wins, man. But Mahomes, with a win this weekend, puts... All of these legacy guys from the past 15 to 20 years to rest in year four. That's unbelievable, dude. I heard a great take for the first time in maybe 20 years today on ESPN. <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, one of the traditional reporters talking about Tom Brady. And he kind of compared him actually to Bill Russell. Bill Russell isn't talked about in the GOAT conversation 
really all ever in comparison to MJ. I think Bill Russell had what, Matt, nine nine championships? I'm double checking right now. I think it was eleven, to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> it, Jesus Christ doesn't really matter after, you know, nine or eight. Right. But he was saying in the comparison of greatness that yeah, yes, it's Tom 11. Brady's six championships, that's ridiculous. Um, is amazing one. in the NFL eyes. But it, it's a team sport, right? And, you know, you talked about Mahomes passing all these guys in legacy. You're right. Brady's may never be accomplished because it was a team accomplishment. Yep. You know, it was Vinatieri hitting multiple kicks to either get Brady there or win him Super Bowls. It was, you know, Danny Amendola having a career day in the Super Bowl. It was James White. Know, multiple yeah. other players, James White, right? How many other names can we mention? back and forth that changed the legacy of Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes, Tyree kill are kind of out there doing it themselves, right? Like I know Kelsey's out there with them too, but we're not talking about absolute dominant performances from every, every single player on this chief's team. But I think legacy wise, Mahomes has something to prove on Sunday. Well, everyone, hey, have a great weekend. Enjoy these football games. We'll be back next week with a ton of analysis, a Super Bowl preview, man. And then it is actually time to fully dive into basketball i'm deep into betting on college basketball so i'll bring, i'll do a little college basketball update for everyone hey man we're a month away from march madness we'll be a month away um and maybe you'll be in orange county or excuse me i don't live in orange county maybe you'll be in san Luis on monday for an episode that we can record so we'll see brother um as always like and subscribe to the pod follow us on tiktok twitter and instagram at pitcher bet sports podcast we'll see you guys next week